0: 10 9 8 7 6 5
1: Four, three, two, 1
0: Welcome listeners to this special bonus edition of the ESA Explorers podcast. My name is Annalise Van Dam and in the next few episodes we will be talking about science on the International Space Station. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the first European astronaut making its way up to the ISS and starting the 20 years of more and more science experiments in low Earth orbit. We want to know more about how science got started, what it takes to get an experiment up to the ISS, and what's in store for the future. Today we'll be talking about how science experiments on the International Space Station got started. And to help me explore, I've invited three guests who know everything, or almost everything, about doing science in space. Welcome guests. Can you please introduce yourselves?
1: Okay, Uh, I'm Andreas Schön. I'm leading the research and payload group in the Directorate of Human Spaceflight and Robotic Exploration in ESA.
2: I'm Kirsten MacDonald, and I'm leading the team of ESA ISS, Utilization, Research, and Planning.
3: My name is Nicole Buckley, and I'm the SciSpace Team Leader. And that means that I'm responsible for the science content of the European Space Agency exploration program.
0: All right, thank you so much for being here today. To get us started, can we get a little bit of history? How did science on the ISS get started? We know ISS was built 20 years ago. Was it always meant as a laboratory in space?
2: Andreas um, was participating in early D2 missions, and and I think these were important to lead towards the ISS where we are now and, and Europe's contribution. And he's, he's probably well, a great person for, for your initial question about uh, the, the evolution of ISS.
0: Yes. Andreas, can you tell us a little bit how, how this got started?
1: Yeah, I guess what, what's, what's important to, to to look at is, or interesting also to know, is that, that ISS did not come out of nowhere. There is a history behind it, right? There was Skylab before. There was Salyut and Mir. There was the European Space Lab module, which was launched on a shuttle. So there was a a history of space stations and research modules before. I think that um, when we say it was built 20
3: years ago, I I think we have to recognize that it was built over quite a long period of time. I wasn't around at the beginning of ISS. But at one point, it was kind of like, I heard it described as like building the house while you're living in it and doing the work in the house. So the science came up at, initially we were doing very, very simple experiments. And, uh, but then as we got more equipment, and for example, in 2008, uh, the European Space Agency donated an entire lab and Columbus module. And so this really increased the capacity to do science. We also have another body. And uh, this is not just an astronaut to do the research, but it's also an astronaut to be a subject of our research. Mm. So I think that we've seen that at the beginning, we were doing very, very simple experiments, but as we have brought on more equipment, as we've learned more, we're doing a lot more complicated experiments. And also as we address some of the basic questions, we're getting a little more complicated and I would say even sophisticated in what we're doing, the science yeah. on station.
1: And I guess there's another element which is also kind of to be taken into account. It takes a lot a lot of logistics and a lot of technology to keep the space station going. I mean, what, what went into, into ISS is a lot of lessons learned from, from the Mir space station. And we, we see this now that, that ISS comes into a comparable age like, like Mir had. When we, when we get all the, 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 the issues with the systems, when we got all the maintenance tasks. So we learned a lot about redundancy. Right? We learned a lot how important it is, for example, to have independent launch systems for the crew. As the shuttle could not launch anymore, literally the Soyuz uh, uh, were the only vehicle to bring crews to the station. So we, we, we learned a lot in that process. And literally the step before you can talk about science on a space station is how you operate a space station. How do you keep a space station going? That That's the first step. You have to have, for example, a very perfect logistics system. If you forget a minor item, just one table, you know, you may be in a real problem because you cannot just go to the next home depot and, and get it, get it, get the cable. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a outpost you really have to keep alive. And that's 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 something I guess which which comes even the step before you're even talking about utilizing it and before you talk about uh, making signs on its space
0: station. Yeah. So the International Space Station is kind of the culmination of different well, not really prototypes, but in hindsight, you could say prototypes of of space laboratories? I,
3: I would say perhaps an evolution rather than prototypes. Because, uh, you know, when you think about just the history of human spaceflight, and you know, I think that the early missions were, I think, 15 minutes in the 50s or something, or in a couple of orbits. And then, you know, you start to see uh, with every step we learn. And uh, I think that Sometimes we get a little complacent, I think, about the International Space Station. But when you think that we've had a continuously occupied uh, human platform in space, uh, that's really, really impressive. But again, uh, uh, as a microbiologist, I'm gonna quote Louis Pasteur, another microbiologist, uh, one of the best. And he said that if we reach for the stars, it's because I think he said something to the effect, that's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And so I I think it's really important to respect the history and that we're always learning, always building, and always reaching a little farther.
0: I I want to get to another really important point. What's valuable about doing science in space? Why would you go to space? I think that there are three
3: um, from a, uh, I think I'll I'll, I'll just take that from a, there are three elements to space that I think uh, make it a unique environment. And the first is that when we think of all life as we know it, Um, gravity was part of the evolution of life. And so in space, you can actually, and on the International Space Station, you can see long-term effects from a free-fall environment where you have very little effects of gravity. So from a living standpoint, that's has, I I think, that we've heard about some of the changes to muscle, bone, a lot of gravity-dependent processes that happen to, to people or to living things. But also when you think about a lot of um, physical processes, we can't, on Earth, we can't do anything about gravity because it's here. But in space, you can take away gravity and suddenly you see the effect of other forces like surface tension. And you can see how they impact a physical phenomena. Well, coming back to Earth, you can actually change surface tension. This is something you can modify. So when you take away gravity, you see uh, what other effects are, are, are at work or you can see what the effect is of gravity. So that's the first. The second is that we're very fortunate to be protected by our atmosphere from radiation. So when you get away from space, suddenly you are now in an environment that has radiation that can impact biological processes, can hurt us, but it also can impact equipment. I think I, I saw a stat, statistic once that something like a third of the satellites uh, orbiting Earth are ineffective now or inactive because of radiation-induced damage. And in space, you need the equipment around you to survive, not just do science. So radiation is another effect. And then the third thing is the isolation and confinement aspect. And the isolation can impact the science you do as we spoke about if you forgot something too bad, that's it. And so it really changes your supply chain for doing research, but then the confinement, when you talk about putting humans in a, and these are professional humans in a very confined environment. I think we're seeing effects even now with COVID, what's happening when people are confined. And uh, and we have to learn how to adapt to that environment. And we know that future space exploration, people are gonna be confined and you're not necessarily with your family, you're with your work colleagues. And, and we're starting to learn about how people can interact. And what's really interesting is, that in space, not only are you with your work colleagues, but your work colleagues come from different countries, different languages, different cultures. And so this can really help us to understand how people can work together because they do work together successfully.
0: Yeah, wow, that's, that's a great answer. Um, Andreas and Kirsten, I'm, I'm interested uh, to hear your answers as well. Why do we do science in space?
1: No, i mean uh, uh, nicole has indicated it one one of the real interesting phenomena is literally the, the the fact that you that you can rule out one of the factors you have on ground the gravity right and and, and you, you can see effects which on ground are completely overlaid by gravity so that 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 is that is uh an interesting yeah scientific in in, in science you 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 want to get down to what really drives a certain effect, right? So and, and and to get down to that, you need to take out what is literally the, the disturbance. And in a lot of fluid science uh, uh, things or granular matter things, literally gravity is a is a disturbing effect because it masks the real phenomena. So so you can take this out, and you can do the, the respective respective research in 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 orbit. A big part of the early the search in space program was it, it was actually spent on understanding what happens to people in space. You know, when you when you see astronauts, the first time you have the Buffy face. So what what is this fluid shift in, in 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 the body? What what is the deconditioning of muscles? What is the decalcination of bones? Where does it come from? And and all that stuff. So you know there is and there is literally two elements. One element is really the The science aspect but the other element is a science aspect but literally driven by the fact that the human is in space you see things changing with humans uh, being in space and you want to understand why and and of course in our days we want to understand it even more because we want to go deeper into space and we need to understand can we go there is is there something which limits us is it radiation is it the uh, effect of microgravity is it potentially even the effect of of isolation or when you go farther away, when you go beyond low Earth orbit, you get another effect. You become completely dependent on a technical system. If you're on a trajectory to Mars, there's no escape. You are on that trajectory and you have to go. That's an enormous psychological thing. If you know you are, you, you are depending on that technical system. It's not like an ISS where you literally can jump into your Soyuz or into your vehicle and in half an hour you're down on Earth. Right? It's a, uh, uh, so these, these things need to be, need to be understood. but as I said, there were there's two elements. One is really the effect there are humans in space and they want to go deeper into space. So it's literally a system immanent uh, aspect. But then you also have all the research aspects related to, to the micro, uh, microgravity effect. Some are related to, to radiation effects. We also do research where we just use ISS as an observation platform. Right? because for certain observations we are on a, on a on a on a very, very nice orbit. We are we are literally high enough to, to have a, a, a good overview, but low enough to get perfect resolution. Right. And that that's a that's another field of research which has developed. So I, I I believe ISS is a is a, is a great research platform. It also is a great platform to prepare for exploration. Yeah.
0: Good. Kirsten, do you have anything to add? <laughs> Well, um,
2: you know, we we often use the expression regarding our Earth, our own planet, and we say we're all in the same boat and or spaceship Earth as an expression, but the ISS, this this spaceship we have in space really is like a microcosm of the Earth in many ways. And I think the challenges um, of space exploration uh, force us to think of the design Uh, to improve the efficiency of things in in how much energy it uses, how much power it needs. Can it be automated? Do we need a crew member in the loop or not? Uh, When you think of robotics and artificial intelligence. Um, Also, recycling, waste management, all of those challenges are things that need to be done on, on that spaceship, but definitely have um uh real real life uses and advantages and and can lead to amazing discoveries on earth as well so when you're forced to figure out a way to address these challenges and you can do so efficiently you realize that some of the processes we have now on earth um have perhaps not evolved as quickly and and could really make use of um of of the the efficiency that we've gained in how we do things in space so i i do see that as also something that um that has has uh allowed our industry to find better ways to do things because you cannot waste as much and with um i'm i'm really passionate about the environment and global warming and and these These are concepts that really lead to to you know making better use of our resources, both in space and on Earth.
0: So it's almost like there's two aspects, right? There's doing Mm -hmm. the science and just the mere possibility of doing science. That also leads to new discoveries.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Very interesting. Exactly.
1: By the way, that's also an interesting example of what we have learned over the years, because originally ISS, a lot in the ISS data management system was built to military standards, right? And now we are literally going to normal, as Kirsten said, USB standards, wireless LAN, and, and stuff like that. So there is also a, a development. We have understood that that normal equipment can, can operate stable in, in ISS and that these these classical military qualified equipment is not necessarily needed.
2: Yeah. And if if you mentioned 20 years of ISS, that's really 20 years since ISS has been continuously inhabited by humans, but the first module was launched in 1998 and it wasn't developed overnight. So the, the the design and everything goes well before that. It took time to build. Yeah. And so if you think only in the past 20 years, we didn't have smartphones, we weren't talking about Wi-Fi. Uh, and so now on the space station, we definitely want to adapt and keep up with, with modern times. And, and we understand how easy it is to, to buy a new smartphone, plug it in, have, have uh, all the data from your old phone transferred to your new one. And we want to be able to do the same thing and have that capability on orbit as well now.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean,
1: I mean there's an element, I, ISS has one one big advantage. It doesn't fall down, or at least not very fast. But you can imagine that what they do on ISS is, is a little bit like if you would call a submarine captain, okay, we're gonna do a maintenance on your submarine when you're on a mission and when you are diving. That's literally the situation. You have a system, where you're completely depending on, and you're permanently changing the system. You're maintaining it, you're upgrading it, you're repairing it. So that's also a, a, a very, yeah, very challenging, very challenging uh, set of activities. And I mean, and we have seen this in, in the in the last years of MER, how challenging it can become to maintain an aging space station. And I guess we see the first signs also on ISS that we go in that direction. So. We have to exchange major components. We have to ex- uh, we have to upgrade the solar panels to satisfy the higher energy needs we have in the meantime for our experiments. So it's a, it's a it's really like you 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 have to maintain an infrastructure in orbit. You have to operate it and you have to use it at the same point in time. And that's not trivial. That's certainly not trivial.
0: No, that doesn't sound trivial at all. It certainly sounds like quite an achievement to. Um still be doing science on ISS after 20 years. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have for today, but I do look forward to talking to you more in our next episode. And in our next episode, we will explore the science that's happening on the ISS right now, and more importantly, how does one get a science experiment up there? So stay tuned, and in the meantime, don't forget to keep exploring.